Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Chapel Messages podcast, a ministry of Emmaus Bible College. Each episode is taken from a chapel message given here at Emmaus. For more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. First Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 25. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the supreme emperor, uh, emperor as supreme, or to governors sent by him to punish those who do evil, to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Uh, Verse 18, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you, are go- you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to do this, uh, you have been called because Christ has suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, uh, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. I can't tell you how delighted I am to see continuing students sitting in the front row of the, of the auditorium for chapel. That's encouragement to the speaker. Uh, it is good to be with you and spend some time, um, not very long, we have today in the Word of God. The scripture portion that Zach read uh, it's a larger section um, than what I would focus on, uh, but it sets the context for the instructions given to us in 1 Peter 2, especially verses 21 to 25. If you are familiar with uh, the ending of the Gospel of John, we have the resurrected Lord Jesus encountering the disciples. They had been discouraged, they had decided to go fishing, and Christ appears to them on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. They come to him, some taking, you know, with a greater urgency than others. Um, Peter jumping into the water, swimming ashore. Uh, At the end of that, uh, we have the Lord Jesus, after he fed them, uh, gives a commission to feed his sheep to Peter, and then says, gives some more instruction. And at one point, Peter is curious about what is going to happen to John because the Lord told him what is going to happen to him. And the Lord gives him a a one-sentence reply, um, which concludes with, you know, whatever is going to happen to you, what is that to you? But you follow me. 
you follow me. The risen Lord Jesus, he had only a few more days here on earth before he ascended to the Father, and we might rightly think about how did Peter follow Jesus following that instruction? How do we today follow the instruction to follow Jesus? What does it mean to follow Jesus? Should we all start putting on wearing and putting on Middle Eastern robes? Um, should we pursue an itinerant ministry going from town to town preaching the gospel of the kingdom? Should we somehow create occasions for suffering so that we can suffer? We might ask, how does one follow the Lord Jesus? How do you as a follower of Christ, broadly speaking, he has a student at Emmaus Bible College or staff, faculty, follow the Lord Jesus. How do I follow him? And Peter's advice is really to the point in 1 Peter chapter 2. He's writing to groups of Christians scattered throughout the Roman Empire. They seem to be living in difficult times. They are really living under a dictator, which used to be the norm until the more recent centuries. The last group he addresses in the section that was read to you, they are really domestic bond servants, slaves. And Peter gives them advice through the Spirit that they should heed their masters, not only the good ones, but also the bad ones. And some of them, many of them are going through suffering. And I suppose we still have that. And advising them, he says, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example or leaving you footprints that you should follow in his steps. And I would like to examine with you what these footprints are that we might place our feet also in as we seek to follow the Lord. And the first footprint he points out is in verse 22. It says, he committed no sin. Christ Jesus has left us footprints that we might follow in his steps. And the first of these is that he committed no sin. Our, our dealing with the gospel is such that if this is said to us, the, just the way it sounds, we say, well, that, that's too much, right? After all, we are not to be exhorted to kind of sinless living. We are supposed to kind of go through life like sin is a part of it, and how wonderful to have forgiveness. I mean, this is sort of how the Christian calling is presented to us, that we are, and this is true, we are sinners saved by grace. Apart from the work of Christ, no one can come to God. But what does Peter mean by saying this? He has left us an example. He has left us steps, footprints to follow in. He committed no sin. And in fact, I think even the choice of words here is somewhat interesting. It's not a general statement that he did not sin, using sin as a verb. But he says he committed no sin. And so here he's focusing on the deeds of life. Because in the next sentence, you will focus on speech. 
He committed no sin. God has called us to a life where we are created anew, born again into a new life, embedded within us by the work of God through the gospel, through the word of God, through the work of the Holy Spirit, in which we are created to be new beings. If anyone is in Christ, what? It's a new creation. What happened to all things? They passed away. All things have become new. And the standard that the living God sets before me, for me to now live, is to imitate the example of the Lord Jesus Christ, about whom we read that he committed no sin. It is important for us to set the proper ideal before us as we go through life. And the Christian ideal is not some sin is okay, or we all do it. No, I have been created as a new creature in Christ, given the enablement of God's Holy Spirit who indwells me. And, and the example model set before me is of the Lord Jesus himself, about whom we can boldly and, and honestly and truthfully say and acknowledge that he did no sin at all, and he is my example. Now, even as we think about, as you consider what sins you still entertain, tolerate in your life, we might all say, I know people who live a better life than I do. Is that true? I know other Christians who are more committed to living righteously than I am. Well, if that is the case, why do I have a lesser standard when after all, they even are not my examples, but Christ himself is my example. He committed no sin. We go through situations in life, all of a sudden, a situation of sin, disobeying God, doing something unrighteous is before us, and we maybe have a struggle with our conscience. But um, remember this. I have been called to this, that I should follow Christ in his steps. And the first step is that he did no sin. We should have an attitude, you and I should have an attitude that my Christian calling is incompatible with sin. It's not some sin or not the really bad sins. My Christian calling is incompatible with sin. And if I recognize something in my life as sinful, it should go. It should not be tolerated. A second footstep, says, neither was any deceit in his mouth. The Lord Jesus never deceived anyone. I have deceived, but I, it's my sincere desire before God that in nothing I do will I ever continue to deceive people. I would like to have, want to have a standard of conduct where my words are true and honest and never intended to cover up my own fault or even deceive people in any way to, to gain advantage of them. And these are real things of struggle, even in environments like the ours. So you as students, uh, let me give you an example, and it's not here, so don't, don't be worried about where this happened. I'm 
it has happened in other places. So um, uh, I teach, I've taught biblical languages, right? So uh, Hebrew, uh, Greek, sometimes we give assignments for translation, a portion out of the text, right? You're supposed to understand and translate it. And it sometimes happened to me, I got more back than I gave. I give just a portion of a verse, but I get the whole verse back in translation. I, I imagine what wonder, right? Here, here my students saw a whole lot more text than I had actually given them in Hebrew or Greek when they translated and give it back to me. No deceit was ever found in our Lord's mouth. No deceit should ever be found in your conduct. Why? Because you and I are called to this, to follow the Lord Jesus by imitation, by imitating his examples to walk in his footsteps. If the first one was that he committed no sin, the second is that he did not engage in deceit. Now, when situations in life are normal, we put forth our best behavior. Um, in my own personal life and experience, you know, the thing that brings out the worst in me, I know sometimes people have said, you bring out the worst in me. I don't know what is behind that. <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> the things that, that bring out the worst in me are stressful situations, difficulties. If, uh, if, if, if a, a given situation develops one way, I mean, there's a greater loss or danger or threat before me. And when we are under such situations of, of danger, some perceived threat, and we resort to mechanisms of, of self-defense and rescue, and often these are not righteous behavior. But our Lord is an example for us, even in situations of danger. In fact, he presents the, the great example of how to respond under threat, how to respond under duress, how to respond when you are in danger. Verse 23, when he was reviled, reviled, not a common word we use, right? So here are some other translations. When he was insulted, all right, now that makes sense. You insult me and you will see what I'm capable of. <clears throat> When he was insulted, verbally abused, or maligned, and one translation is they hurled insults at him, same thing. What did the Lord Jesus not do? He did not respond in kind. When he was insulted, he did not insult back in return or say, wait, I'm going to secretly look for an opportunity to get even with you. Our Lord was greatly reviled, insulted. And he did not, not only that he did not respond in kind, he endured all of it, kept quiet through it, and it's actually uh, quite uh, noteworthy how our Lord goes through his passion. Um, I would recommend to each one of you take time uh, to read the accounts in the four Gospels of the last days of our Lord Jesus as he goes to the cross. See how he conducts himself, he, how he behaves, whether it is before Caiaphas. They had lots of questions with false accusations. This man said, 
no, destroy this temple, I'll build it back. So what do you say about this? The Lord kept quiet. And they bring him before Pilate. He answers, he engages Pilate a little bit, but he doesn't respond to those accusations. He's taken to Herod. Herod wanted to see some wonders and signs. Our Lord does not indulge him. He doesn't answer him. He does not do anything before him. He's brought back to Pilate. The, the soldiers blindfold him and strike him and say, prophesy, who hit you? Our Lord said nothing. While being taken to the cross, there are people standing around, mocking, reviling, hurling insults at him, challenging. He did not respond in kind. He did not respond at all. Christ Jesus has left us an example that we should follow in his steps. He committed no sin. There was no deceit <clears throat> in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not respond in kind. And fourthly, verse 4, when he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Here, actually, the, the verb tenses in the Greek are noteworthy. He uses imperfects. It uses, while he was suffering, he did not engage in threatening. But he, and while he um, was experiencing all this, he continued entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. It was actually an extended period of time where our Lord was subject to this. It was not just one insult, one provocation, one abuse. While he was going through all this, while he was being reviled, he did not keep reviling in return. While he was suffering, he did not engage in threats. But what did he do instead? He kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Here's a way to go through life. Life is not always fair. More often, more unfair than it is fair. But you are not just anyone in this world. What are you in this world? You are an object of God's love. He has called you. And this is where Peter himself begins. You have been called for this purpose. You have been called by God. God has entered into your life if you have trusted him as your savior. If you know Christ Jesus as your savior, you belong to God. Your destiny is all wrapped up in what he has planned and purpose for you. So you are not just anyone in this world or a nobody in this world. You are one God cares for. You are one for whom God gave his own son, our Lord Jesus. So no matter what you're going through, what choices you are faced with, you can still consistently, constantly commit yourself to do what is right and entrust what happens to you to the wisdom and the justice of God. Our lives are to be lives abandoned to the will of God by consistently embracing and practicing righteousness and leaving all outcomes with God. It's only that kind of faith 
will find itself vindicated. You will find that there is a living God that you can trust. There's much more here. I was going to say a lot more, but I'll stop here. You have been called for this purpose. <clears throat> or to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. May God give us his grace, shall we pray. Oh, Father, we come gratefully before you because of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. We thank you that he is not only the one who died to save us from our sins, he is also the perfect man, the one who sets before us, before us the paradigm for living and a model to imitate. We thank you for him. We thank you for his sinless, holy life. We thank you for his absolute trust in your goodness and your power. We thank you that our Lord practiced righteousness, that he is the embodiment of righteousness, and that he is our example. Grant us your grace that we might intentionally commit ourselves to imitate his example. May your blessing be with each one of us. We thank you for your goodness in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Chapel Messages podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit emmaus.edu partner.